Hey there, it's Debbie. And this is a special playback Friday episode of the podcast, meaning it's a favorite conversation from the Tilt Parenting archives, which go back to 2016. Unless you're a longtime listener, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one yet. And even if you are, you'll likely get something completely different from listening to it this time around. I know I did. I hope you enjoy it. Kids nowadays have so many, um, there's so much for them to have to pay attention to and think about and distractions and, you know, video games and busy schedules and, and just lifestyle is so hectic that it, it's become really difficult for kids to, to, to focus. And the reason that kids actually tend to be so, you know, good at it, if you could say that, is because there's a huge component of it that's about being open and curious to what you find in the present moment. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today's episode features a conversation with Kate Berger. Kate is a child and adolescent psychologist, as well as a certified mindfulness instructor who specializes in working with expat and third culture kids. In the past few years, I've been reading more and more about mindfulness, and I'm really intrigued by what research is showing in terms of how children can benefit from using mindfulness tools in their everyday life, especially children who may be more prone to anxiety or maybe just are more intense in general. So on today's episode, I asked Kate to break down exactly what mindfulness is, what a mindfulness practice might look like for a child, and how we as parents can support our kids in tapping into some of these really useful techniques. To learn more about this podcast and Tilt, the revolution for parents raising differently wired kids, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Well, hi, Kate. It's so nice to have you on the show today. How are you doing? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I'm really happy to be sharing you with people on the Tilt podcast. You and I have had a chance to work together a couple years ago is you were Asher's therapist during our first year living in the Netherlands. So at that time, he met with you individually. And you would also set up a really cool social skills group through your practice that he participated in. So just to share with listeners a little bit about your background, you have a BA in psychology from George Washington University, and a master's degree in child and adolescent psychology from the University of Leiden, which is here in the Netherlands. And then you have a therapy practice called Expat Kids Club, which includes therapy for children, after school groups, consulting for businesses and families who are dealing with kind of life as an expat. And then you're also the co-creator of the Families in Global Transition affiliate in the Netherlands. So first of all, it sounds like you're very busy. (laughs) Yep, that's true. So can you tell us a little bit about the overall mission for your business? And the, you know, I'd love to just know the kinds of kids that you work with in general. Yeah, sure. So so, you know, I really believe that relocation is um, creates a wonderful opportunity for people in general. And so often families that are relocating with kids see only the, um, the difficulties or the big challenges ahead of them. And so part of the mission of the work that I do is to help families see that, that, that the opportunities that are created are, are really wonderful and terrific. Um, in fact, you know, kids who are exposed to to a relocation transition and, and can kind of get through that and, and see the challenges in front of them as obstacles to overcome, that these kids can develop skills that can be applied as they go through life and, and 
on to, um, you know, in the workforce and becoming leaders in, in society and things like this. And so if we can really help them um, develop that sort of mindset from, from a younger age, um, I really truly believe that we are creating um, a better future for, for the young people um, in our society, but really for all of us. So it's a huge part of, of what I do and where the passion for what I do lies in that. I really think we, um, in the day-to-day interactions, can make a big difference long-term. I'm just curious, before we kind of dive into the topic of mindfulness, the kids that you work with, is it kind of a blend of neurotypical kids and differently wired kids? Yeah, you know, it it really varies. A lot of the kids that I work with, it it, it is because the families reach out to me because exactly, you know, similar to your situation to have sort of that piece, that that touch point, like you said, the connection to support as they transition. Here in the Netherlands, the mental health care system is, is very different if you're coming from the States and moving here to the Netherlands. You know, there are a lot of sort of differences that are that are challenging to navigate and, and language complicates all of that. So many of the families that I work with, you know, I am kind of providing that that real transitional support, whether it's, you know, continuing some sort of structure or program that they've been working with in in their um, previous location, and then shifting that into the support network and system that's here. That's a big piece. And in addition, a lot of the kids that I see are struggling with this sort of sense of maybe lack of belonging to the environment that they've now been dropped into, trying to get their head around sort of who they are in the context of the the environment that's changed. So sense of self, identity related issues, um, very typical. I imagine just hearing you talk about that, that if a child is kind of predisposed to being more, you know, maybe anxious or highly sensitive in some areas that a relocation is going to trigger a lot of that for them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, okay. So now I'm like already thinking about other a whole other episode I want to do with you (laughs) about this specific topic. But what I wanted to talk with you about today is specifically about your work with mindfulness and I, I've known since I've known you that this is a big area of interest for you and that you do workshop with kids on how to bring more mindfulness into their lives. So I guess to start that conversation, I feel like mindfulness is a concept that it's definitely getting more and more play in the media lately, more and more people are talking about it. But what exactly is mindfulness? Like, how would you describe it to someone who is kind of coming to this concept fresh or may just, it might be in the background, but they don't really have a true sense of what it means? Right, right. Yeah. And I really appreciate that you acknowledge that it's become sort of more mainstream these days. Um, Unfortunately, with that comes a lot of misconceptions. So it's fantastic to have this kind of opportunity to, you know, straighten out some of some of those ideas. So um, when we talk about mindfulness in practice, what we're really looking at is sort of present moment awareness, paying attention on purpose um, to the present moment, what's happening right now. And we do this using um, various mind body techniques. So things like meditation, meditation, breathing, exercises, movement, um, even sometimes mindful eating. So anything that we can do um, to, to bring us back to what's happening right now. And why? I mean, why, why do we want to be more mindful? <laughs> yeah. So, so really, you know, if you think about it, many of the sort of stress and difficulties that we experience in life have a lot to do with what's already happened in the past 
or what's going to happen in the future. And so, you know, we get pulled with, with our thoughts, with our mind, we get pulled into those two directions um, and then are not present for what's happening right now and sort of miss the opportunity to really be able to respond to what's happening in the moment versus, you know, when we get caught up and pulled and sort of on autopilot reacting to what's happened or what's, what we think might happen. So, so coming to the present moment is a powerful way to be able to have cultivate awareness for what's happening and then create this opportunity and, and sort of, you know, power to choose how to respond to whatever set of circumstances you're in. Hmm. Okay, that's great. I don't know if I've ever heard it described that way, but that makes absolute sense. You know, I, Asher and I have our own, and I'll talk about it later, kind of fledgling mindfulness practice. And I know that it's good for us, but it's good to hear exactly why. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, let's talk about children then. Why do you think mindfulness as a practice can be so effective in children? Because I, I think, is your work specifically focused on working with young people in this area? Yes, absolutely. So so I'm working only with children, and to some extent, par- parents, you know, incorporating them in um, mindfulness practice with their children. Um, but but definitely my emphasis is, is on working with children. And, you know, I think, well, there, there are many reasons, but one of the things that we've discovered, and I say we because I feel sort of a part of this movement that's bringing mindfulness to sort of more mainstream, you know, institutions and things like that. You know, kids nowadays have so many, um, there's so much for them to have to pay attention to and think about and distractions and, you know, video games and busy schedules and, and just lifestyle is so hectic that it, it's become really difficult for kids to, to, to focus, to concentrate. You know, we see this in kind of um, shifts in sort of looking at prevalence of, of ADHD and, and things like that. And mindfulness is really useful because what you're doing is, is training the mind, training the brain to come back to the present moment, to, to create this awareness for what's happening. And the reason that kids actually tend to be so you know, good at it, if you could say that, is because there's a huge component of it that's about being open and curious to what you find in the present moment. So this sort of curiosity, almost like a curious George for what's happening, um, if you know that, that children's story. And, and kids are, are a little bit better at, at this open curiosity than we are as adults, because it comes more naturally to them. If you think about, you know, babies exploring the world for the first time, picking up a new food or, um, you know, feeling different textures of materials and things like this. This is that sort of curiosity that we're talking about that we're trying to cultivate through mindfulness practice um, that kids are doing inherently because all this new, all these experiences are new to them. Um, And it's really neat because where I was kind of going with the attention and concentration, what we're seeing is that, you know, there's a lot of research going on neuroscience looking into children. Um, There's definitely more with adults, but a little bit with children looking at sort of implications and, and how mindfulness practice is useful for them in a school setting. So looking at sort of test scores and, and you know, things like this and, and how their ability to pay attention, to focus, to concentrate is actually um, seen as improving through exposure to mindfulness practice. So it's really exciting. We'll be right back after this quick break. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, 
Whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. You mentioning that reminded me of an article I read, and perhaps you read it too, in The Atlantic from last summer. It was called When Mindfulness Meets the Classroom. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was fascinating and really talked about the very tangible, positive effects on kids when it was actually a part of their regular day in the classroom, especially on emotional regulation or their overall sense of, you know, just happiness and positivity versus being especially anxious or... Yeah, so that's, that's very cool. So it seems like, you know, according to this article, it's starting to become more and more a part of more schools are starting to play with it. Yeah, yeah, it's so exciting, because um, there's some really terrific programs that are kind of running this force um, towards having mindfulness be incorporated into into mainstream curriculum. Um, so you have, you know, for in the UK, there's the Mindfulness in Schools Project. Um, in the States, Mindful Schools, and, and many, many more that are trying to bring mindfulness into the classroom, even if it's a moment, a mindful moment, you know, where, where um, you know, kids are encouraged to, to practice mindful listening, 
So just observing what they hear. Or some of the schools um, that I've worked with are doing mindful lunches. <laughs> so the kids are going into the cafeteria and mindfully eating their 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 sandwich or, or whatever. Or, you know, mindfully walking from the classroom to the gym class or things like that. So when you say you're making me think of this spa that I went to for when I celebrated my 40th birthday, my best friend and I went to the spa called Miraval in Arizona, which we heard about from Oprah. So we were very excited about this. <laughs> but mindfulness was a big part of what they did there or the philosophy behind the spa. So for like mindful eating, it was that idea of just eating and not reading while you're eating. Or if you're folding laundry, not feeling the need to catch up on Netflix while doing that. But is that what you're talking about when you're saying mindful eating at school or mindful walking and, you know, among kids? Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, we do all these things on autopilot, right? I mean, the, the sort of classic example is who were you in the shower with this morning, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Very often not experiencing the water hitting the body and all these things. And, you know, coming to the present moment is a useful skill to develop concentration and, and this ability to respond rather than react. But, but there's a, a wonderful sort of side effect piece of it that's about really savoring the experiences as they're happening. So eating our food and, and savoring and enjoying the taste of it, right? Taking a walk and feeling what that's like on the feet, to, you know, to hit the ground and feeling mm-hmm. the sun on your face and all these kinds of things. So, you know... It is it is wonderful in how mindfulness practice also, you know, people who practice are, are developing this sort of um, appreciation and, and gratitude and, and, you know, happiness, increased happiness, which is fabulous. Yeah, I'm thinking of a time when Asher was quite young, probably maybe three, t- two or three, and I picked him up from preschool and I took him to Green Lake and we, with some snacks, and this is in Seattle, we walked out to the end of a dock and we kind of, you know, decided, okay, for the next few minutes, let's just see everything we can hear. And then we did the same thing with everything we could see and everything we could smell. And I guess that in some ways, that's the same thing. But when you, it seems more natural to do when you have a child who's just discovering the world. And then as we get older, those things start to be less interesting, or maybe Minecraft is more interesting. Right. But yeah, so I guess kind of continuing that kind of practice too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we get the question all the time, like, am I doing, am I doing mindfulness right? Or, or am I doing it wrong? And it's, it's, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Just like you said, if, if, you know, going out and, and, and seeing whatever you can see and hearing whatever you can hear, that's being mindful, right? That's being present. So, you know, but it's a hard thing if people haven't experienced that. It's a hard thing to explain, of course. So it, it's an important thing to keep in mind. So let's talk about differently wired kids. And I think I know your answer, but I want to hear, I want to hear more. Like, why is it, you know, or how can mindfulness be especially or particularly helpful for kids who might be, you know, anxious or, you know, super intense or highly sensitive or really inflexible kind of the traits that we see in kids that have ADHD or Asperger's or sensory integration disorder? Why, you know, are there reasons why it's especially useful for that population? Yeah, yeah, it's it's really um, it's really interesting and exciting because this is um, a direction that the mindfulness practice and intervention is definitely taking. Um, I've recently done a, a training specifically on working with teens um, with ADHD and and or autism diagnoses that using mindfulness interventions with this population. And it's really neat because um, many reasons, one of the things that I think is really important to mention and that I'm most excited about is, you know, these kids 
often are getting feedback from the environment that something's wrong with them. Um, and that, you know, they're not good enough, can't sort of be like the rest of their peer group and, and these kinds of things. And so the, the mindfulness practice, you know, helping kids to understand, to be, to, to develop awareness for the, the mind and the body in situations, um, and developing this sort of curiosity and compassion for what, what's happening with their mind and their body, um, and so, you know, through that, one of the most exciting things is about the, um, the confidence that develops with that, the, the empathy for the self, right? So rather than sort of, um, you know, feeling really different and horrible and isolated, um, actually feeling okay with who you are and, and understanding what you might need in, in a situation to, to be able to move forward. Um, so that, that self-empathy, that, that compassion for the self is a big piece that I really love. And, you know, with that, of course, bigger picture is, you know, if you have young people, individuals who are able to be compassionate for themselves and, and take care of themselves, you know, you can think about kind of what they bring into the environment that they're in, how they interact with other people, what their relationships are like, right? And if we, if we have these connections with, between them and, and the rest of us, um, you know, the kind of ripple effects of that energy, that compassion is, is really, really exciting. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I love what you said, especially about the, the teenhood piece, because I think, you know, teenhood is a difficult time for any child. And, you know, neurologically typical or atypical. And I think for kids who, you know, may be aware of a diagnosis they have, who may feel really kind of good about who they are, once they hit adolescence and the hormones start to change and they're, they may shift into a space where they want to be more like everyone else. So I could see it being especially useful for them to have that self-empathy at that stage. Really interesting. So I know that your program is based on the curriculum developed by the Mindfulness in Schools Project in the UK. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the one I'm using nowadays. Yeah. So what does, can you kind of paint a picture for us of what, you know, and program with kids might actually look like? Like what is when you do an after school group course, what, what does your work look like with them? So it's an eight week program. Um, and the kids are coming once a week and, you know, we kind of just start with the beginning of what we call playing attention. So, um, understanding that, you know, we can use our attention, we can shift our awareness in different ways. We have the power to do that. Um, and we do that through really fun activities. We use a flashlight, we talk, we use animal, um, talk about animals, um, bring, bring that into the exercises. And then throughout the course, it's really, um, having kids sort of check in on what they're paying attention to <laughs> and developing that self-awareness for where they are in each moment. And, you know, lots of, I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, we don't typically with kids have them sit and meditate <laughs> because that's really challenging. Um, some of them like to do it and some of them do it. I mean, I've seen, you know, five and six year olds sit for 10 minutes, which is amazing. But, you know, so, so any kind of activity that's, that's um, helping them to build that, that awareness. So we do, um, we do movement, um, walking, we do um, sometimes some, some different kinds of like yoga movements. We do in one of the, one of the classes is um, just about using uh, mindful eating and we use um, a chili pepper 
and chocolate, which is really interesting. Um, and, you know, right away when you say that to the kids um, or when they, they discover that this is what the object is that they are being encouraged to eat, you know, noticing the immediate thoughts that come with that or the aversions, right, or the excitement about it. And so the course is really fun and exciting and, and really engaging. There's, um, there's videos, there's worksheets, there's take-home practice. And, you know, it's, it's a big... This is a big sort of concept, a lifelong process of being mindful, being present. And so the course is really just about introducing that language to kids and then for them to go off and apply that in any way that works for them. That sounds very cool. Yeah, it's it's so fun to teach. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, it sounds also from what you're describing that it's not necessary to have this kind of formal mindfulness practice that you, you know, sit quietly for, I mean, some kids may want to do that, but that it doesn't have to look that way for kids to start incorporating mindfulness into their lives. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I should say, you know, a big piece about um, one of the things that we find is that kids who are most successful in taking on these ideas and applying them in their lives are the kids whose parents are also practicing or 
have the intention to make this, to incorporate this in their day-to-day life. So we really encourage parents to get involved and either do the, the exercises with their kids at home or do their own sort of adaptation or even take a course themselves that's just for adults or for parents because that seems to be the way that kids are going to continue with their own practice as if, if their parents are modeling this at home. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That, that, that was my question. How can parents support the development of this? So I'm just thinking like practically that might be just being like visible or visible thinking, like talking out loud about yeah. what's going on. Like I'm really enjoying the taste of this right now. Or I mean, is it, is it that simple? Yeah, in some ways, yeah, it's, it's really modeling your own awareness in, in moments. Right. And, and the, I think the most powerful ones um, are the ones where, and, and maybe this is more opinion or just the ex- from my experience, but the moments where parents lose it <laughs> or get frustrated or, um, you know. But that doesn't happen with me. So I, but can you <laughs> describe what you mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but for that, you know, for that to be a moment when you say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm feeling really frustrated. I notice my heart is racing. Um, I've got knots in my belly. Um, my fists are clenching. And I'm thinking about, you know, I'm wondering, I'm asking myself why or what did I do wrong or, or right, any of these kinds of things. Um, and and to be able to model that and then, you know, to, to say, okay, what do I want to do with this? What do I think I need? Right. And, and including your kids in that too can be really neat. Mm, that's great. That's great. Yeah, and I find I'm just reflecting on how in our first, especially in our first year here, I was trying to, because my son was so unhappy to be, to you know, that we, you know, as he described, destroyed his life by picking up and, and leaving the home that he knew and the city and friends that he knew. I spent a lot of time when we were having good days, you know, uh, you know, magical moments of flying in a hammock and having popsicles and just trying to really soak in every moment of that, (laughs) both for my own personal well-being, so I could have that to counter the more difficult times, but also to kind of help him start to appreciate things in the moment too, and recognize it's not all hard, or it's not all bad, or, you know, it's we have this full range of experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And it's challenging. I mean, especially in in a transition, like you've described, you know, it's, um, it's stressful. There's, there's this inherent stress in relocation. There's no question about it. And parents, you know, any of us, I mean, in the work that I'm doing, you know, we want to be supportive. We want to help. We want to bring, you know, all the tools that we have and share them with children. And to be able to do that, it really, it really has to come from a place of knowing where you are in each and every moment, right? It's looking in the mirror or putting your own oxygen mask on first and and, um, that sort of idea mindful of where you are and what you're bringing into those interactions. So in that sense, you know, parents who are practicing mindfulness, working on their own, cultivating their own practice, it it can be so, so powerful and and wonderful. Hmm. So any kind of favorite tips or resources that you can share with parents who are listening who who want to learn more? I don't know if there are certain websites or, you know, even something they could try maybe even today to kind of get started. Any, Any tips to share? Um, yeah, absolutely. Let's see. So, so one of my favorite books that I've been using lately is called Sitting Still Like a Frog. And it's by Elena Snell, a Dutch woman. Um, she's actually written it in Dutch originally. It's been translated, but it's fantastic. It's got a CD. There's exercises on it. And I really just like the way it's kind of presented and packaged. In terms of 
research and information, you know, the Mindfulness in Schools Project website has a ton of stuff up there about their efforts and what they've been doing. Or again, Mindful Schools. Um, for people in the U.S., there's the um, Mind Up Foundation that Goldie Hawn is a big um, spokeswoman for. So, you know, there's, there's lots of information available. Those are just sort of a few that, that I usually turn to or would recommend people turn to. And in terms of practice, yeah, one of the first exercises that we start with children typically is mindful listening. So maybe setting, you know, a timer on the phone for 30 seconds, or um, if you've got one of those um, Tibetan singing bowls, that's the one that we use in practice. But, you know, just taking, you don't even need a timer if that's too much to think about. Um, just taking a few moments to just sit and, and listen. So anything that you hear, you know, observing anything you hear in the room that you're in or outside of the room, maybe even any sounds coming from within the body, and just just noticing that. And and then maybe noticing also the sort of immediate urge to want to label those sounds or any emotions that are attached, you know, that annoying truck that keeps driving by or gosh, you know, I'm I'm really hungry, my stomach's grumbling, things like that. So so just noticing the sounds and and you know, catching the thoughts that come in and just coming back to noticing the sounds. I'm using the app right now called Headspace. Are you familiar with that? Yes, love Headspace. Yeah, it's been interesting. I've been trying to learn how to meditate since the beginning of the year. And he starts every meditation with that piece of just listening. And that is really interesting. It's, it shifts things very quickly. Again, even as you said, I think 30 seconds is enough to realize there's a lot going on that we're tuning out. And uh, it's really cool. That's a great tip. Thank you. Yeah, I love Headspace. And, and you know, the mind is, it's the nature of the mind to wander. It's constantly wandering and usually jumping to the past or the future. Um, so even when we take that moment to check in, it's like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't know that was happening. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Well, this has been super interesting. I am just fascinated by the idea of mindfulness. And I also feel like it's one of those things where just a little bit of effort can probably yield some substantial and immediate rewards. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, for it, listeners who want to learn more about Kate and Expat Kids Club, I will have links to Kate's site as well as all these resources that we talked about the books and, and um, headspace and things on the show notes, or you can also check out our site. It's uh, www.expatkidsclub.com. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been fascinating and great food for thought on not only how mindfulness can really benefit differently wired kids and not to mention parents raising them, but also just how we can start weaving it into our everyday lives. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Tilt Parenting Podcast. I hope you got some good insights on the potential for mindfulness for our kids. For more information on all the podcast episodes, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast. To access the show notes for this episode with links to Kate's practice, as well as all the books, websites, and other resources we mentioned in our conversation, go to tiltparenting.com slash session four. And if you liked this episode, I would be grateful if you could take a moment to visit iTunes and subscribe, as well as leave an honest review. We are brand new to the podcast world, and our goal is to make sure parents of differently wired kids can find us. Your reviews and podcast subscriptions are super helpful in working towards that goal. 
Lastly, for more information on Tilt, the revolution for parents raising differently wired kids, and to sign up to be a part of the community, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.